Hello, and welcome to an Alchemist Club DM Corner. I'm I'm Joe, your Dungeon Master. It's been a little while since we've done one of these. Um, let's see. What do I want to talk about first? A couple of things, I guess. First and foremost, uh, we're doing this because we, due to holiday scheduling errors, are pretty much out of episodes, so... You get to talk to me for a little bit, and I apologize, this will probably be a little shorter than a standard TAC episode. Um, I also wanted to say, because I don't think I've addressed it at all at any point on the air, uh, the random squeaking, like, whining noises that you've probably heard for quite some time now, these noises... I don't know if they're getting picked up at all. That's my desk chair. Um, I need a new one. This one is is old, and obviously, uh, well, it was like thirty bucks at Walmart. So I uh, I apologize that that's something that's been coming up and possibly bothering people. Uh, if not, and you're just now hearing about it for the first time, I'm sorry that you're probably going to notice it in recordings from here on out. Um, what else? So I had a few questions from people, not like letters that got written in, but from friends uh, who were curious about the elves and the nation of Sildal. So I thought I'd talk about that for a little bit and then maybe do a, a little itty bitty kind of almost short story uh, dealio to close things out and try and get myself back in a, a DMing headspace because it's been a few weeks since I've had to do this. So uh, that's that's what we're going to do here today. Um, I hope you enjoy the episode, quote unquote, the DM corner. Um, and th yeah, uh, Soldal. The Elven Nation, located in the southwest corner of the continent of Aldraxia. It is somewhere the party has only briefly skirted into the borders of uh, on one occasion, when they were raiding the tomb of the ancient king Rolanthus for the Mythal to go in Teliferous. And, of course, they were immediately after activating Teliferous, set upon by uh, Kalanon Delaram, who is an administrator within the nation of Sildal. So you might be thinking, King Rolanthus, uh, obviously, elves uh, a monarchy of some description. That is not true. Uh, king Rolanthus was an elven king a very long time ago. Elves, on average, tend to... they're, they're not quite immortal, they tend to live about a thousand years um, if they take care of themselves and are kind of aesthetic, dedicate themselves to meditation and such. Uh, there are records of elves living up to twice as long, but eventually, and it's not, they don't really succumb to old age so much as they, they are inherently very magical um, beings, and that magic tends to call them back to a more 
primordial form. So if an elf dies of, quote, old age, what they're actually doing is sort of um, degrading into their constituent magical charges and dissipating. Which is not dissimilar from cremation, I guess. Um, so, yeah. That's a fun fact about the lifespan of elves in this world. Uh, King Rolanthus lived a very long time ago. Elves have not been a monarchy since well before the hatching. Uh, the nation of Sildal is a true democracy. So every elf has the ability to vote on any issue that is raised by um, the governing body of Sildal, which is, again, elected. I guess it's kind of, it's not really a true democracy. I'm not a political science person, so this might not be what a true democracy is at all. Um, the elves tend to leave the raising of issues to representatives of their various elves. Uh, villages and little hamlets that they live in. Uh, there isn't really, other than the capital, um, which is Argentum, the, there aren't really any like major population centers in Sildal. They're pretty spread out and dispersed. And um, whenever a, a major vote is being put out, each elf essentially receives a message from the current governing body of the of the nation the council and are invited to participate in the vote um most abstain because they don't really see any need to vote on things that aren't going to have much of an effect on their day-to-day -day life and honestly the way sildal is run there isn't much that needs to be voted on that is going to cause like major changes to the way elven society works. It's a pretty self-sufficient little nation, and most of the inhabitants are off doing their own thing anyway. So the need for central government is kind of token at best. The council, which um, occupies itself with the advancement and um, protection of Sildal citizens, is again elected um and what it basically boils down to is a, a particular portion of sildal will be like we want somebody to vote for us we're nominating this person everybody in the forest gets a notification about voting for them to become a member of the council and it goes through there isn't any set council size um each member serves basically for as long as they're willing to um and if they stick around long enough they're eventually asked to like lead quote unquote the council which is largely a token position and the job of which is to one make sure that these voting announcements go out to everybody in the nation and also to initiate uh or decide on which things need to be voted on. Um, so presenting things to the rest of the council and being like, okay, do we want to vote on this? So that's how the government works. Um, Kalanon Delaram is a fairly long-standing council member. As you may have guessed from his various appearances in the Alchemist Club, he's very invested in elven history. 
and um, sort of Sildalan nationalism in as much as such a thing exists, um, and also kind of racist against non-elf species, races. Um, so that's uh, that's where he's coming from. What else do I want to talk about? Elvish lifespan and hatching. That's a thing that's probably of mild interest to people. There are only a handful of elves in the nation of Sildal who remember the world before the hatching. Of those, only a couple have not been driven completely insane by massive exposure to the hatchling. Um, most of the elves that were around for that time have dissipated back into uh, their constituent magical charges. The ones who were around at that time and haven't gone insane are essentially monks who took vows of meditation and silence and um, like isolation. So not only do most people not know where to find them because they've been in isolation for the better part of a century, not a century, a millennium, large spans of time are weird. Uh, but also, they don't really talk to people, even if they do get found. And because of the nature of their vows and the fact that they spend most of their time meditating, some of them don't even like realize that the hatching happened. They were so in into their meditation and so kind of achieving that state of semi-transcendence that they have not been in tune with the material plane for some time. So that's why asking the elves about history before the hatching isn't super great, although Sildal does, I will say, have better records than most other nations of what the world was like before the hatching, because it was, you know, a generation ago instead of several. So there's less information loss um, along that. Um, what else do I want to talk about here? I am going to shuffle on up. I When I found out that we were going to run out of uh, episodes and would need something to fill in this week. I asked a couple of friends who listen if there's anything that they wanted to hear about. Uh, somebody wanted a creation of the world or a complete tale of the hatching. I'm like, that's there's spoilers there. Um, are there other cannibal elves? I mean, probably. It's, you know, depending on how you want to approach it, kind of a cultural thing. The heyday of the tree ships. That was back when the elves were a monarchy. Uh, honestly, they, they were kind of an empire um, because they had this massive aerial superiority. They lived forever. So everyone in their army was kind of top of the game because they'd had centuries to train, honing themselves to as close to physical perfection as an imperfect being can get kind of thing. Um and nobody else had really mastered one creating or two using mythals to the same extent. So um, 
elves ruled the world for a, a bit in the distant past. Eventually, this kind of imperialism um, kind of got tamped down by some radical thinkers in the elven communities who are like, what if we coexisted with these other races instead of oppressing them? Um, and elves began to move in a more democratic direction and a less uh, nationalistic, imperialistic one, which allowed the shorter-lived races a chance to kind of flourish and grow a little bit more. After which point the tree ships became less military in nature and more <clears throat> uh, transport and research and just like works of art. So that's, uh, I mean, there were never many to start with, to be honest. Um, I, I've decided just now that there were 10 tree ships. I know you get to see how the sausage is made here. Uh, and how much the planning and preparation I have done on this particular topic. There were only over 10 tree ships total. Um, many of them were lost during the hatching, and nobody has sufficiently been able to account for all 10, uh, in part because some of them just disappeared during the hatching. So there were 10 tree ships. Teliferous is one of them. Um, obviously, it was not called Teliferous at the time. So... Yeah, that's information about that. What else? There were there were a couple of non-elf related questions. Somebody else had patches, I believe. I'm doing a little bit of a scroll here through my various messages. Uh, some of these things I've, I'm pretty sure I've talked about on air before, but it you know it doesn't hurt to uh, discuss them again, having to do with <coughs> the Eversea. If there's no salt water, are there ocean-type creatures? Yes, because the Eversea is kind of directly plugged into the elemental plane of water, and there's a lot of weird stuff on the elemental plane of water. So you get things like freshwater octopi and sharks and that sort of thing. Is that biologically possible? I don't know. I'm not a marine biologist, and I don't ever intend to be one. So we're just gonna we're gonna go with rule of cool on this. Uh, do the fragments of the planet left form a sphere, or is it just a string of islands? Uh, it is. There is a large large portions of landmass were lost during the hatching. The chunks that remain, if you like, they are all kind of roughly arranged in a spherical fashion, like the anchor is at the center where the core of the planet was and it tethers islands to itself. Um, and they are, they are kind of arranged in a sphere, so to speak. Um, but it is not a complete sphere. Like if you were to condense, you would have to condense all of them down very close to the core to have all of the land masses kind of overlapping to form a new crust. Um, a lot of a lot of stuff is missing. Does the water spill down into the lakes and rivers in the anchor, and do the anchor folk need water? It does, uh, not as much as you might think, um, given that all of the standing water on the continent eventually kind of drains off into the anchor. Uh, a lot of it evaporates when it hits the anchor cloud and kind of joins in there, and that's why we get these big anchor storms that kind of sweep up over the continents and uh, are very are very strenuous and um, 
strong because these the anchor cloud is just kind of saturating and when it eventually does saturate it kind of pushes all the water back out but sun does get through and there are like waterfalls that extend all the way down into the little uh, town inside the anchor and that is where they get their water from and it's uh, kind of very picturesque and also dangerous um, so yeah I'm going to that's that's really all I the questions I have and I think all I want to say about Silval at this point in time hopefully that was interesting uh, I am now going to attempt something of a short story to uh, kind of close things off we'll see how this goes I might cut the whole thing out depending on how self-conscious I'm feeling which is often very Sole Glimmer Meadows knocked on the door to the cottage of the wizards that lived on the edge of the lawn surrounding the tree ship where he was employed. A woman's voice cheerfully rang out, It's open. Come on in. Uh, so he did. And he went inside to find Basil and Ivy were in the process of baking what appeared to be a cake. Um... The batter looked delicious, and Basil was stirring vigorously while Ivy adjusted the uh, flame underneath their stove to the appropriate intensity in order to bake. Their strange mushroom child friend uh, was standing, as far as anyone could tell, in the center of the room, um, quietly keeping to itself. Sully noted that it appeared to have grown something that, if you squinted, almost resembled an ear. Um, he stepped into the cottage and said, I was just wondering if you wanted to join the crew for dinner again. I know that while the owners of the Teliferous are away. You are usually doing your own thing. Usually doing your own thing anyway. But, you know, we thought we'd take this opportunity to kind of bond and get to know each other uh, without interference from overbearing whatever they consider themselves to be. That sounds lovely, said Ivy, but we're already kind of set for dinner, and we have this cake in the oven, which you are welcome to stay and have a slice of. You know what they say, life is short, and Basil, on the other side of the kitchen, chimes in, eat dessert first. Uh, at this point, the strange mushroom being emitted a faint cloud of spores, and Sully had the sudden impression of amusement and comfort, and a sensation that he didn't really know how to describe, almost like he had eaten something, but without any of the sense memories that he normally associated with eating. <clears throat> well, I certainly couldn't turn down a slice of cake from two notoriously good bakers. Uh, Ivy and Basil laughed at this. 
And so Soli settled down into an armchair, and they talked of small things for a while. Eventually, the cake came out of the oven, smelling absolutely heavenly, and as it did, the mushroom person emitted a vast cloud of spores. Ivy immediately covered the cake and said, T-Jam, inside voice, we've talked about this. And the ear-shaped growth on the top of the mushroom quivered slightly, and a much smaller cloud of spores uh, poofed out of the the mushroom. This led Soli to feel a, a sense of chagrin, but also delight and excitement, because there was cake, and he loved cake, even though the current association he had with cake, again, seemed to lack anything that he himself normally would think of when he thought of cake, like flavors and frostings and chocolate or fruit. It was instead the sensation of having eaten something, of digestion, and he didn't really know how to contextualize it. Basil took a moment to decorate the cake while Ivy waved a hand using her magic to remove many of the spores that had settled on surfaces all around the cottage. And then she cut slices of cake for each of them. Four. Two for them, one for Sully, and one she deposited on top of the mushroom being. Um, Another cloud of spores was emitted, um, and this time Sully had the distinct impression of eating of not fullness, but again, like he had eaten something and it was being digested very quickly. And as he watched, the slice of cake that had been placed on top of the mushroom began to sink into it, or perhaps it was dissolving from the bottom up. Um, And when it was finished, the mushroom emitted another cloud of spores, and this time a sense of contentment and sucrose and easy eating uh, overwhelmed him, all before he'd had a chance to take a single bite of his cake. He did, and it was delicious, and he devoured it and continued chatting with Basil and Ivy a little while longer before leaving the cottage and pondering about the strangeness of his employers, and the people that lived near them. And then there was a jerking motion, and Teliferous, on its island, jerked up into the sky very rapidly, without any warning. He heard the sound of plates falling to the ground inside the cottage, muffled cursing, and then the sounds of two wizards casting mending. And he thought to himself, well, they're back. That was a little a little story. I hope you enjoyed it. Hopefully I'm a little embarrassed about it, but I'm, I'm going to leave it in. And we'll see what everybody thinks of it. All right, this has been a DM Corner. I'm Joe, your host and Dungeon Master for the Alchemist Club, and uh, your regularly scheduled D&D, which I'm just now remembering... The last thing you heard was a mid-combat 
uh, cliffhanger. So we'll we'll be getting back to that. Um, thanks for listening, and I will talk to you soon. <laughs>